Amen. Thank you, Jesse. How you, how you guys doing today? Good. It's great to see you. Great to be with you again. Um, we are on week number three of a series called Sharks and Selfies. And so uh, we're talking about fear this month. And David Dorner, our teaching pastor, got us started these last couple weeks and has done a great job. Um, actually, David is at our other campus at Center Church in Byron Center um, this morning, continuing the series. And so I get to continue um, with us this morning. And so um, we're talking about fear. Maybe you're wondering, what do sharks and selfies actually have to do with fear uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks? And so the idea behind the series is uh, people are terrified of sharks, but we're not that scared of taking selfies. Some of you have already even taken a selfie this morning and posted it somewhere. Uh, but statistics tell us that more people die every year from taking selfies than they do actually from shark attacks. And so the concept is sometimes the things that we're afraid of, we really shouldn't be afraid of. And oftentimes the things that we should hold in higher reverence or awe, the things of God, oftentimes we don't. And so we're talking about fear and talking about the way that impacts us. And to get us into what we're talking about this morning, I want to tell you about a guy named Doug Dietz. And Doug Dietz has a TED Talk out there if you're interested in learning a little bit more about him. And, uh, but Doug Dietz, what he does for a living is he designs MRI machines for GE Healthcare. And so he has a team of people and he creates these shiny you know, objects, these incredible MRI machines that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars that are put into hospital suites. And so just out of curiosity, how many of you ever, have ever had to actually have an MRI? Can you raise your hand? Okay, well, that's a ton of people actually, an, M an MRI. So for those of you who don't know, this is what a typical MRI machine looks like. That's actually a GE Healthcare one. And um, so if you're not aware, you actually get fed into that donut hole there and it clanks and makes all these loud noises and you're in this claustrophobic closed in space as the magnet whirls around you and takes pictures of your inside so that they can see what's wrong with you. And so Doug Dietz's story is he, one day he was at a hospital where they had installed one of his machines that he'd helped design and as the, he's there making sure it's all set up correctly, there's a family coming for an MRI and he thinks to himself, this is great, I get to see my machine at work, I get to see how it works actually in action. And so he stands back and here comes this par these two parents with a little girl. And as they make their way down the hallway and they turn into the room with the MRI machine, immediately this little girl takes one look at this big alien looking you know, uh, you know, machine and she immediately just bursts into tears. And her parents are looking at each other. They're already scared. They're here because they don't know what's wrong with their daughter or why she's sick. And they're looking at each other and they're thinking, how are we ever going to get our daughter through this experience? And so all of a sudden for Doug Dietz, this was like a defining moment. It was the first time he really saw the whole experience through the patient's eyes. And so for this little girl, you know, he, she goes into this room and it's these beige walls and tile floor and there's this scary, it's dark lighting, there's this scary machine with a big yellow sign on the side of it that says danger, right, because of this magnet whirling around. And for him, it was like this horrible moment of realization, oh, this is what we're terrifying kids, we're scaring them to death. And immediately when this uh, MRI technician sees this little girl crying, he takes note, the MRI technician just calls for the anesthesiologist, like just sedate her as quick as possible. And at this time, most kids were getting sedated, even in pediatric wings of hospitals when they were going through MRIs. And so what Doug Dietz did is he went back to his team and he said, we've got to redesign this entire experience for kids. And so his team went about redesigning MRI machines for pediatric <coughs> hospitals around the idea of a kid's adventure story with the patient starring in the lead role. <coughs> so just to give you an idea, here are a couple of Doug Dietz's uh, MRI machines. <coughs> Excuse me. This one is a spaceship, 
And so the idea is you get in the machine as a kid and you're flying through space. Go ahead to the next one. This is some kind of, uh, I don't know what this is, like a railroad track or something like that. But there's this whole storyline. The last one is actually my favorite. Go to the last one. So this is like a submarine. So what happens in this storyline is the kid comes down the hospital hallway in a wagon and they're told it's like a canoe. So they're supposed to like be canoeing and they get into the, into the room and they're supposed to get out of the canoe, get into the submarine and it feeds them in there and then they're going to go under the sea. That's the storyline that the technician is leading them through and they're supposed to count the fish. So as the MRI machine whirls and goes around and there's fish painted on the inside so they're counting the fish as it goes around. So what this has done is this has absolutely transformed hospitals and pediatric wings and it's transformed this terrifying experience for kids into something totally different. Hospitals are saving millions of dollars because of Doug Dietz and his team. Because now, like when most kids used to have to be sedated to go through this experience, now it's down to like 2% of kids require any kind of sedation to go through the, the MRI experience. And they're able to get more and more patients through. And so hospitals just love this. Insurance companies love this. Everybody's happy. But if you listen to Doug Dietz's TED Talk, he says, that wasn't my greatest accomplishment. He said, my greatest moment of achievement was after we redesigned these, I was at a hospital again, and I was looking at this redesigned MRI and making sure it was all working. And here came this family. He said it was another family with a, a young girl. And so he stood back and he watched as the parents brought her in and she went through this whole adventure story, got her MRI. And when she came out of the MRI, she said to her mother, can we come back here again tomorrow? <laughs> and so Dietz says he went out in the hallway and he just broke down and wept when that moment happened. Because for him, he knew they'd accomplished the goal they'd set out for, which was to transform this terrifying experience into something else completely an adventure even, something incredible and beautiful in this moment. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this, could God transform your worst fears into something else? Could God actually do the same thing for you? Could, could he actually take your worst fears, the things that keep you crippled, and could he actually transform your worst fears into something else, an adventure even? something of beauty that you actually cherish in your life. I want to tell you, not only do I think God can do that for us, uh, I actually believe he's done it for me. And if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, I believe God is a good father. I think he actually wants to do that for you. He actually wants to transform your worst fears into something completely different in your life. Some, an adventure, something that he actually gets glory out of. And so I want to talk about how does God do that? How does God actually do that in our lives? And so our passage of scripture this morning, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4. And uh, the writer John here is actually one of the disciples of Jesus, the disciple John. And in, in, in 1 John, John is writing to a group of Jewish Christians. And so these are people who had grown up in the synagogue and in the Jewish faith, and then they put their faith in Jesus. They turned to Christ and surrendered their lives to Jesus and when they'd done that, many of them had been kicked out of the synagogue. They'd been rejected by family and friends. They'd lost family and friends. And so these are people who are literally kind of, because they've turned to Christ, are saying, what are we going to do now with our lives? They've lost everything and they're scared. They're full of fear. And so John says this to this group of, of Jesus followers. 
John 4, verse 16, he starts out, he says, God is love. So if you boil God down to his essence, God is love. And, and so he says, and all who live in God, or I'm sorry, all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So what I want to do here is I just want to hone in on a phrase, on an idea that John says here. It's this statement, perfect love expels all fear. It's a big idea in Scripture. Perfect love, God's love, expels all fear. Which is not what we expect him to say, right? You would think like perfect love expels hate, right? I mean, we tend to think like what's at the opposite end of the spectrum of love? It's hate. Hate is the opposite of love. But he doesn't say a lack of love leads to hate. He says a lack of love leads to fear. And so God's perfect love has this way of driving out fear. The reason for this is because all hate is basically fed by fear. Hate, fee, any form of hate that we see in our world today, it feeds on our deepest fears. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it's a day where we celebrate the work of Martin Luther King and, and the way that he very boldly confronted racism in our world with the civil rights movement. Racism at its core is built on fear. All forms of hate. Racism is a form of hate. It's built on fear. It's, there's this fear that we have to keep the, this group of people down because if not, they might take something from us. This is why any person you find who is full of hate is also simultaneously full of fear because all hate feeds on fear. And so what does God's perfect love do? His perfect love drives out our fear. Now, the, the word fear here that John's using is the Greek word phobos. And phobos is where we get our word for phobia. So if you think about like claustrophobia, if you're inside the MRI machine, it's this fear of being in a tight space where you're confined, right? There's a fear of heights uh, a blutophobia is one of my favorite phobias. You know what a blutophobia is? It's the fear of washing or bathing. Any of you have uh, a middle school boy living in your home? A blutophobics, all of them. <laughs> they are terrified of washing or bathing. Um, but to be fair here, what John is talking about in this passage, he's actually not talking about uh, phobias like a fear of heights or a fear of claustrophobia or a blutophobia. He's talking about a very specific kind of fear. And it's the kind of fear that exists in relationships. In fact, if you caught it there in the language he used, he, the, what he calls it is he calls it the fear of punishment. It's a fear that exists in our relationships with one another. It's this fear that the other foot is going to drop any moment. It's this fear that God is going to punish me or there's this punishment that's coming for my life and for, for what I've done. And so the first place that you see this fear, really the first place you see any fear at all in the entire story of the Bible and the entire story of humanity, if you go back, like, where's the root of that? Where did fear all start? The first mention of fear in the scriptures is all the way back at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter three. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, 
unpacks the story of how God creates the heavens and the earth and everything we see. And then he creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this perfect utopia, this garden where they have intimate relationship with God, the Father, and they have intimate relationship with each other and with all of creation. And then what happens is Adam and Eve sin, they disobey God, they eat the fruit of the tree and sin enters the world and brokenness enters the world. And so what happens is they go hiding and they go into hiding and they're hiding from God. And so in chapter three, God goes looking for Adam and Eve. And that's really important. The story from the beginning of the Bible all the way through, it's not a story about human beings looking for God. It's actually a story about God going and looking for human beings. In the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their failure and their sin, God goes looking for Adam and Eve and they're hiding from him. And he says to them, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? And Adam responds to God, Genesis 3, verse 10. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was what? I know it's cold outside. One more time. I heard you in the garden and I was? There we go. I was afraid. First mention of fear, of the emotion of fear. I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. See, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've broken that relationship with God. And so now, because they have insecurity with their relationship with God, what we see in the story is they can't have any kind of security with their relationship with each other. They have no security in their own identity with who they are. And so things just sort of unfold from there and just keep falling apart from there. And that's the same story that we've been living in ever since. You can trace it all the way back to the first story of the first human beings. We experience moments of brokenness and it shapes our fears for all of our lives. Go ahead to the next slide there. It's our past experiences that frame our fears. It's our past experiences in life that actually shape and frame and are the root of the fears that we have well into adulthood. By the way, that's not just true in the Bible. That's been proved to be true in psychology and just field after field of study. Our fears that we have basically are framed and shaped by some sort of experience that we had. This is why you can still remember those words they spoke to you. Decades have passed, but you can still remember words that were spoken into your life that have just crippled you with fear. And so what are you doing? You hide, you sit back, you, you don't put yourself out there again because of the damage that was done. For some of you, maybe it was a moment of failure. It was a moment where you just messed up. You just did something stupid. You messed up and you failed at something. And so that moment has stayed with you. It was years ago, but it stayed with you in your life to the point where now you don't put yourself out there. You don't try again because immediately in your head is, if I step out there again, remember what happened last time. It's these past experiences of fear that actually shape our, or our past experiences in our life that shape all of our fears and shape the, the, the reasons that we stay hiding in our lives. Maybe for some of you, it was a moment of rejection. Just a moment where you were rejected by someone or abandoned by someone. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or, or a parent or a coach or somebody in your life. And so what happens is we go into hiding. And so what God wants to do is he actually wants to go into our lives, into those past experiences, and he wants to bring his perfect love to bear on those experiences that are at the root of our fears. 
That's exactly what God wants to do. That's exactly what John is talking about. But what happens is we often do what Adam and Eve do. We just go, we just run and we hide and God comes looking for us. But we, we try to hide by running into the opposite of whatever it is we're afraid of. Isn't that true? That's what we do. We just try to run to the opposite of whatever it is that we're afraid of, but that doesn't work. I mean, think about it. The solution to a fear of failure is not success. I can introduce you to multiple people who you would agree, they're a success. They've made it in life, but if you, if you talk to them very long, you realize that they have a deep, deep, deep fear of failure. If you have a fear of failure that's rooted in some past experience, success doesn't fix it. You can be successful and still be afraid of failure, terrified of it. The only solution to a fear of failure is failure. It's to actually fail. And in the midst of that fail to find, failure, to find that God comes looking for you and he meets you in that place of failure and you realize that my failure didn't kill me. I'm still alive. I'm still okay. And God still loves me and there's nothing I can do to perform my way into making him love me anymore. And there's no failure I could do that would make him love me any less. And he still has a plan for my life. He has more for me. And when, when that happens, that's when that fear of failure begins to lose its grip on us. If it's a fear of rejection, the solution to a fear of rejection is not acceptance. That's oftentimes what we do, right? We run over there and we, we, just put our, we only put ourselves in environments and in relationships where we know we're gonna be accepted and we'll be accepted and we'll be loved. By the way, lots of pain and brokenness comes that way in life. But just because you have an experience of being accepted doesn't mean you've solved your fear of rejection. A lot of times we're only hanging out in this group over here because they accept us. It's because we have such a deep fear of rejection. The only solution to a fear of rejection is rejection. It's to be rejected. And in the midst of that rejection, to find that God comes looking for us. And he meets us in the midst of that rejection. And he accepts us. Even with our faults, even with our brokenness, even with our failures, he accepts us just exactly the way we are. Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, while we were still losers, face down in the gutter, that's when Jesus died for us. And when we experience God's love at that place, that fear begins to lose its grip on us. That's what God wants to do in your life. It's what he wants to do for his children. It's what he wants to do in my life. It's what he's been doing. It's what he's continuing to do. So our past experiences frame our fears. You've got them. I've got them. But what God wants to do is, is he wants to return to those experiences in your life and he wants to actually replace them with an experience of his love. John is saying, if we can actually experience God's love right at the site of our worst experiences of failure, our worst experiences of rejection, our worst experiences of, of fear, what happens is if we can experience God's love right at the site of those places, our fear begins to lose its grip on us and it begins to be transformed into part of our testimony, part of the work that God does in our lives. That's what God wants to do. He wants to allow his perfect love to drive out all of your fears. If I could, I'd like to illustrate that idea. Um, and so this is a series on fear, right? And so uh, I want to introduce you to my scary friend. So give me a little bit of an umbrella of grace here. Um, I brought a friend with me to help illustrate this whole concept of this sermon. So this is the animated lurching werewolf. Here he is in all his glory. 
Um, this werewolf is an animated Halloween prop. It actually belongs to my son, Aaron, who is 13 years old. There we go, yeah. Wait for it. Terrifying, right? Isn't this terrifying? Uh, we actually toned down some of the motions of the animatronics and stuff just to, just to tone it down a little bit. Um, let me tell you a little bit of the story of this. So a few years ago, my son Aaron became really interested in animatronics and robotics and particularly Halloween animatronics. And so there was a YouTube channel that he followed. There was this family that would demo all these animated props and they had like thousands of followers. And so um, Aaron would, would, uh, would like pay attention to them and learn all this stuff from him. And so through a series of events, we got in contact with this family, this YouTube, they owned this YouTube channel. And so they heard about Aaron. And so they actually took a trip from New York all the way here to Grand Rapids to our house for Aaron's birthday. And they surprised him. We knew they were coming. He didn't know they were coming. They showed up at the door and they surprised him. And it's this YouTube channel family that he's been watching. Like, wow. And they gave him this. They surprised him and gave him this present. It was this, this prop, this animated werewolf. And so this thing, they actually made a YouTube video out. It has thousands of views and all this stuff of them coming to our house. So this thing began kind of a journey for us as a family. We now own about 20 of these kinds of Halloween props. Some of, most of, some of them have been purchased for us or gifts from people. Some of them we've saved up and for birthdays or whatever for Aaron, he's gotten a few more of them. And so what these props did for Aaron is he learned about them and learned how to make them. Um, he came to us one day and he said, Dad, Mom, I want to throw a Halloween party at our house. We'll call it Halloween Heaven because we're Christians. <laughs> and so that's what he said. We want to throw this Halloween Heaven, this giant Halloween party. And he says, I want to invite all of our friends. I want to invite all of our neighbors, everybody to come to our house. And I want to show them these props. I want to set these things up and, and demo these props for them. Now, here's what you need to understand. Our son Aaron has autism. And so uh, let me just put it this way. When you have a son with autism and he struggles to interact and connect with people and he says to you, I wanna throw a giant party for Halloween and I wanna invite all our neighbors and all our friends and I wanna show all those people what we're doing. You say yes to that as a parent. Yes, sounds great. Okay, we'll figure that out. We'll make that work. And so we've been doing this Halloween party now for... Um, I can't remember if it's three or four years. I don't know. I can't remember how many years we've been doing it now. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger every year. This past year, Aaron set up all the props in this like haunted trail walk that went through like the forest that's behind our house. And so when, Pete, when guests would arrive, Aaron, my son with autism, Aaron would greet all the guests personally at the door of our house. And then he would lead groups of people through the haunted forest where all these, so they could be terrified and scared all through this. Groups of adults, he led them through. It was absolutely amazing. Now, I just want to, if I could for a moment, I just want to acknowledge the weirdness of this, okay? <laughs> we all get that, like, I'm a pastor. We have a pastor's family. This is weird. Halloween props, a giant Halloween party. It's just, it's just strange. Uh, actually, after um, this, our last Halloween party, I was sitting having lunch with a friend of mine who also is a pastor. He's a pastor of a church here in town. And I was telling him about this party and their family, his family does nothing for Halloween. Like they're a pastor's family, like they just ignore it. It's like, it just doesn't even exist. They don't do anything for Halloween. And so I was telling him about this party and the haunted trail and Aaron and all he was doing. 
And he said to me, he said, I, you know, we were just talking about how weird it is. He said, are you worried at all that this is going to feed some kind of obsession for Aaron with like monsters and scary things? Like, aren't you worried that this is gonna plant these seeds and it's just gonna make him obsessed with all this monster stuff and scary stuff? And I had to admit he had a point. Yeah, I mean, it is. You take that risk. You are kind of putting an emphasis on these weird, scary things. But here's the thing you have to understand about my family that may be a little bit different than your family. What you have to understand is that for my son, Aaron, uh, bigger monsters than this have existed. Um, Learning to talk, the monster of learning to talk was a huge monster in our family. Uh, Aaron didn't talk till he was almost five years old. There, there was a period of time there where my wife, Carrie, and I were terrified that we would never hear our son call us mom or dad. That, that was a much bigger, scarier monster. Uh, the monster of going to school uh, was absolutely terrifying. How are we going to get him through the day? How are we going to get him through the bus and all the transitions and all that? There, there was just years of just stress and difficulty Aaron, today, he attends an autism classroom at North Rockford Middle School, and he includes in several classes, and he has friends and kids and peers his age that he interacts with. I mean, this is, a, this is an incredible story, I mean, of just kind of how Aaron has overcome monster after monster after monster in his life. And so what I said to my friend is, I said, here's what you need to understand. I said, this Halloween party we're throwing is not a celebration that monsters exist, Aaron already knows monsters exist. This Halloween party is a celebration that monsters can be overcome. And every time Aaron greets a group of guests at the door and he leads a group of people through the haunted trail to scare them, my wife and I are celebrating that there are some monsters that have been overcome over the years. Do you get that? Now... Here's why I tell you that. The reason I, t- I, I drag this out here and I tell you that is because if you are a follower of Christ in this room, that is your story. And that is my story too. That's our story. The symbol for Christianity throughout the centuries, throughout the whole world, in every language, there is a symbol that Christians have been known by and are still known by to this day. You know what that symbol is? It's the cross. You know what this is, right? This is a first century Roman torture device. That's what the cross is. It was the Romans perfected torture and death with the cross. In the first century, this symbol, the cross, was absolutely terrifying to people. People were absolutely scared of this. People died on this. People were killed on this. Jesus was killed on the cross. This was how the Roman Empire struck fear and terror into everyone's lives. In fact, you know what they used to do? What the Romans would do is um, they would crucify people who were criminals of some kind or another on the roads that led into the major towns and cities of the empire. So if you're walking into one of the cities on the roads and you're thinking about causing some problems in the city, you're walking by and you're seeing these corpses that are hanging on the crosses. And the message is from the Romans, this is what we do to anybody who crosses us. 
This was an instrument of terror and torture and death, and it was absolutely feared in the first century until Christians, followers of Jesus, began to celebrate it. Today, we wear it around our neck, like on chains. We make it as the icon for our church. We, we, everywhere you see the cross now, we associate it with Jesus. We've actually began to celebrate the cross. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the cross is not a celebration that death exists and even God had to die. The cross is a celebration that even death itself has been overcome. And because of that, there is nothing left to fear. There's nothing left to fear because perfect love drove out fear on the cross. That's the power of what God did for you and what he did for me. At the cross, he fixed the be- all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3, the moment of brokenness that led to all of our brokenness. He did away with it and dealt with it on the cross. And that's what he does for you and that's what he does for me. Once we've experienced that, once we've grasped that concept, what happens is it begins to transform us. It begins to transform all our fears because when we realize perfect love has driven out fear on the cross, there's nothing left to fear. Our fears begin to lose their grip on us. And when that happens, we begin to experience transformation in all of our relationships. It actually affects all of our relationships in our life. And that's where John goes next here in this passage. Uh, but before we read that, Corey, can you help me cover this thing back up wherever you are? Um, I just don't want this thing staring at you for the rest of the sermon, if that makes sense. It's just a little weird. Um, so let's just keep going. First John 4, John keeps going. After, after saying perfect love has driven out all of our fear and that we, we, ha- we have, that's been done away with at the cross, John says, we love each other because he loved us first. The only way we love each other is because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. What's he saying there? He's saying that we really can only love other people in our lives to the extent at which we've understood God's love for us. We only can love because he first loved us. The only way you can possibly love your spouse truly and deeply, the only way you can truly love your children, the only way you can truly love your neighbor, the only way you can truly love the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the only way you can truly love anybody else is when you have recognized and you've experienced God's perfect love that has driven out all fear at the cross and you've understood that love for yourself. We love because he first loved us. This is why loving someone unconditionally is such a courageous act. Because, I mean, if you think about it, when you love someone unconditionally, no matter what, they can hurt you. Man, they can hurt you. You give up all the control. And a lot of times they do hurt you. But what happens is when perfect love has driven out fear in our lives, we can love and we can extend love because our fear has been dealt with. And our ultimate root, our ultimate identity is not in what they think about us, what they do to us. It's in the Father and the way he's loved us. 
I've thought all week about how to uh, end this sermon. And uh, if, you're, if you're newer to Frontline, um, a lot of times what we do at the end of sermons is we, we kind of give like, here's the application, right? Like, like, go and do this. Like, here's a couple thoughts about kind of what to go and do. And um, all week long, I've had this sense that I think what the Holy Spirit wants us to do uh, is just take some time and just linger here right now. And to just allow the love of God to just work into our lives right now, right here in this moment. So I just want to create some space here um, for a moment for us to just do some business with the Father. And the word that's just continued to keep coming to me all week is just this word, return. I think this word is what we're supposed to go to. Our past experiences are what shape our fears. For some of you right now, there is a, you know it, like that moment is coming right to you. Maybe it was these words that were spoken to you into your life years ago that have st- they're still crippling you with fear today. Maybe it's a, a moment, a past experience where you just failed, you messed it up. And you've never quite been the same since. And you've never allowed yourself to really be bold and live courageously into what God is calling you to because of it. Maybe it's a moment of rejection, a moment of... of uh, Someone abandoned you, someone walked away, and it's still with you. Our past experiences are what shape all of the fears that we have. But what God wants to do is he's, he's coming looking for you, just like he's been coming, and this guy, like he came and looked for Adam and Eve, just like he came and looked for his people. His death on the cross was just as much for you as it was for me or for anybody else. What God wants to do is he wants to return. He wants to return back to that, to that experience, that place in your life, those words that were spoken over you, that, that moment of failure. He wants to return to that experience and he wants to show you how much he loves you right in the midst of that place. And if you can experience his love at that site, you're gonna realize there's nothing left to fear. So here's what I, I wanna do. If you would just... Um, bow your heads, close your eyes, or just do whatever for you puts you in a posture of um, turning yourself toward God. And all I want you to do is I just want you to take that moment, that experience, that fear, I just want you to, to bring it before your Father right now. Just lift it before Him. He's your Father. He's a good Father and He loves you. You're his child. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter if you've received him. So just bring that before him right now. Just let him show you how much he loves you. Let him speak to you that perfect love has driven out fear on the cross for even that. We are thinking right now, even in this time as we're doing this, we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond. Just do that. Just lift that that experience to God and let him bring healing. Let him bring his love to bear to it. We thought maybe for some of you, um, it might be helpful to have someone to pray with. Maybe you just need to return to that experience with someone and just pray with them. So we've got members of our prayer team um, who are gonna be on either side of the room, like against the walls here. You guys can go um, right now. These are men and women in our church who are prayer warriors and have prayed for you, have prayed for our church on a regular basis. And they're just going to be there. So even as we're singing, uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you, you can get up and go right over to them. You can do that even right now if you want. Just take this moment, bring bring it to God. 
what he wants to do is he wants to remind you, he wants to show you that perfect love has driven out fear. Let him do that for you.